in the names of God, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Amen. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We continue to make our lectionary march through the parables as recounted in the Gospel of Matthew, these strange stories that Jesus uses to explain the political economy of the kingdom of heaven of which he speaks. The kingdom of heaven, the term he uses for the radical changes in human society and human behavior, he exhorts his followers to join. A kingdom, he promises, that is very near to all of them. A kingdom, he often tells those of his followers who have done something which he finds particularly exemplary, to which they are very close. The rules and norms of this kingdom, as demonstrated by these parables, must have sounded profoundly revolutionary to a poor people subjected to the heavy hand of Roman occupation and its collaborators. Dreams of justice and not the iron rod of oppression. Visions of plenty to a population forced off its self-sufficient farms over the last generation and now often living the hand-to-mouth existence of day laborers of whom we often hear in these stories. An era of righteousness, where the wicked are given their just punishments, handed out by the Almighty One, the Sovereign of the universe, and where the observant are rewarded for their faithfulness. A world dramatically different from the world they know. And not some promised paradise after this life, but a kingdom of the here and the now. Jesus is quite clear in differentiating his talk of paradise which is infrequent, from his talk of the kingdom of heaven, which is seemingly incessant. I said political economy in a very classic and essentially Aristotelian sense. Economy, from the Greek oikos, the central dwelling place of a clan or group of people, and nomos, the managing of that collective dwelling place. Political, from the Latin politicus, the people who constitute a society. This parable, then, tells us something of how Jesus believes we need to live together in the here and the now in order to fulfill the demands and expectations of the kingdom of heaven, to be fully incorporated members of the beloved community, another term used for this concept. The parable is therefore one part of a larger portrait that Rabbi Jesus is painting of how we are to live in community and both support and be responsible to other members of that community. The Jesus portrayed in these parables of Matthew has precious little interest in what so many Christians have been so concerned about, in some instances obsessed with, for millennia. Individual salvation, the knowing, as it is said, of Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. These parables are utterly silent on that subject of personal salvation and the eternal afterlife. Instead, they are keenly focused on how and by what obligations and responsibilities we are to live together in community. What are our responsibilities as members of that beloved community, that kingdom of heaven? And what befalls us if we fail to meet those obligations? This parable, usually referred to as the wise and foolish bridesmaids, seems a bit less harsh than other parables we've heard. It begins as if it had been written by Jane Austen rather than the author of Matthew, a group of sensible and also some somewhat silly women, probably young women given their role. Let's pause for a moment and consider the story in the context of its time. An important man, referred to as Lord by the bridesmaids near the end of the story, is to be married. 
A wedding of a highborn person, often the backdrop for these parables, was attended by extravagant festivities. The number of bridesmaids, the size of the wedding party, was a reflection of the opulence of the event itself. Ten bridesmaids go out to meet this bridegroom. He must be from a very wealthy clan. In many of the parables we hear in Matthew, it is difficult to place the likes of us in the parable, at least in any place we would want to be. That is, the well-fed, the housing secure, the rich, are usually not the recipients of Jesus' sympathy in these stories, but rather tend to be portrayed as the antagonist of the figures in the parable who are wise or good or true or otherwise being held up as models of virtue by Jesus. Here, however, we find people that, placed in the context of the time, are a bit more like most of us in this congregation. In order to be part of the wedding party of this manifestly affluent Lord, the original audience would have known that these ten bridesmaids were themselves relatively well-born. And they go out with lamps to meet the bridegroom. The wise ones bring along a reserved supply of fuel for their lamps, while the foolish ones go out unprepared. And then a minor disaster occurs. The bridegroom is delayed. Finding it hard to stay awake, the entire group falls asleep. The lamps presumably left burning as these young women all nod off one by one would have gone out. The call then goes out that the bridegroom is arriving and they all arouse. The well-prepared bridesmaids are able to trim their lamps, refuel them, and be ready to meet the bridegroom. When their less prepared counterparts ask for fuel, the well-prepared say that they do not have enough to fuel their own lamps and those of the less well-prepared, and so send the foolish bridesmaids off in what was undoubtedly an unsuccessful hunt for an oil merchant open late at night. The bridal party, accompanied and lit up by the five wise bridesmaids, enters the manor and begins the celebration. The outer door that would have secured the gate of a walled dwelling of the time is barred shut. The foolish bridesmaids arrive and ask to be admitted. They are told they are unknown to the Lord. Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Knowing and not knowing, acknowledging acquaintance, was hugely important in this world. Remember, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him three times before the cock crows, that is, in the middle of another night. And Peter does that by saying, I do not know him of whom you speak. In the Psalms, the intimacy of our relationship with the creator of the universe is expressed by knowing, as we hear in Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me out and known me. For the bridesmaids, who are chosen for their relationship to the bridal party, to be now unknown is stark evidence of their failure in their role. And so what was so terrible in their behavior that they are now quite literally cast into the outer darkness of which we heard in another par parable of a wedding earlier this season. It is not, I would submit, because they fell asleep. The wise and the foolish bridesmaids fall asleep, so that sleeping itself is not behavior which this parable holds as a problem. The very human reaction of being overcome by sleepiness is not held at fault here. When the cry goes up that the bridegroom approaches, they all wake up, yet only half are prepared for the moment in which they find themselves. The unprepared bridesmaids ask the wise bridesmaids for a share of their oil. The prepared bridesmaids respond that they only have enough oil to light their own lamps and offer the, the other bridesmaids the rather pointless suggestion to go to the merchants, undoubtedly closed at this hour, to sell them some oil. The bridegroom arrives, 
The wise bridesmaids accompany him, lighting the way, and the foolish bridesmaids return from their foray into the market and find the gate shut and themselves shut in the outer darkness, no longer recognized as part of the bridal party. Keep awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The scholarly group, the Jesus Seminar, a group of 150 biblical scholars and theologians active in the last two decades of the 20th and the first decade of the 21st centuries, occupied itself with the examination of the Gospels and through a variety of textual analytic techniques tried to determine which sayings of Jesus were likely truly said by him and which were put in his mouth by later writers. They argue that this parable was likely written later to help admonish the community that followed the original Jesus movement to stand ready for the second coming, which had not arrived as anticipated during the lifetimes of the original movement members. Whether or not that assessment is accurate, we can leave to subsequent gospel scholars and theologians. We can, however, ask what this story means to us, followers 2,000 years later. Where do we see ourselves in this story, and how does it teach us in this moment of our very troubled times? As I said earlier, we rarely see ourselves as central figures operating in the heart of a parable. We are more often given our heritage, our class, and our privilege, the antagonists to the main characters. We have far more in common with the corrupt judge, or the demanding overlord, or the Levite who passes by the other side of the road to avoid the wounded traveler than we do to the principles in these stories. I would submit that this story tells us much about how we are to live in an uncertain time and age, which the present moment surely represents. I would submit that as a people, as a society, we have been living like the foolish bridesmaids. There is nothing in the current moment that should come to us as a surprise. Pandemics are more common in human history than times without them. If we only think of the last several centuries, we know that epidemic influenza, polio, measles, and smallpox swept over large portions of the globe with great regularity. The current pandemic should not, have caught, should not have caught us sleeping, but it did. This current pandemic should not, uh, as, uh, as once awakened, we were not ready to spring into action as these wise bridesmaids were, but expected someone else would take care of us. It was all someone, somehow someone else's fault that this pandemic spread. It was all somehow someone else's responsibility that it be stopped. We as a people by and large rejected the things we needed to do to close this pandemic down and instead expected someone else to do it for us. Nearly a quarter of a million deaths in this nation alone, we now know how foolish that was. This hurricane season in the Atlantic and this typhoon season in the Pacific have seen more storms than ever before, of greater ferocity than ever before. This fire season in the far west, this fire season in Australia, have consumed huge acres and displaced thousands of people. This is all a direct result of climate change, and yet we as a people still argue over whether that incontrovertible fact is not, in fact, well demonstrated but as our most recently appointed Supreme Court Justice said, still controversial and up for discussion. The words of a foolish bridesmaid. Despite more than 400 years of oppression, slavery, Jim Crow, mass incarceration, and police lynchings of black men and women, 
we still maintain the dangerous delusion that these are somehow aberrations to American exceptionalism and not profoundly woven into the fabric of our society and our constitution. We still, as a people, fail to acknowledge as sin the racism that is so deeply embedded in our society. In the vows we reiterate at every baptism we attend, we have promised to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving neighbor as we love ourselves. We have promised to strive for justice and peace among all people, respecting the dignity of every human being. Yet we see a landscape of poor access to basic needs, bad health care, poor schools, and state-sponsored violence, all determined by race. As a people, we have foolishly looked away. And we have come through this election regardless of how we voted, knowing that nearly half of our fellow citizens disagree with us profoundly, deeply, categorically. We have exchanged respectful conversation and considered dialogue for the degraded communication of the tweet and careful reflection of our differences for bombast and calumny. We are telling tales told by idiots full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And so now, cast into the outer darkness with the door barred and the gate firmly closed, we are told the bridegroom does not know us. What then are we to do? Ignatius of Loyola, founder of the Jesuits, had a spiritual practice that is still often undertaken on Ignatian retreats. Given a passage of scripture, can you inhabit that world for a moment? Breathe it, smell it, imagine how it looked and sounded. Immerse yourself in the moment. And then imagine what happened just after or just before the moment described. What were all the characters doing? What were they feeling? What were they thinking? Having been cast into the outer darkness, having the gate shut and the door barred, having been told the bridegroom did not even know them, what did the foolish bridesmaids do? What are we, an equally foolish people who have lost our way, to do? The late Bishop Tom Shaw often said that despair was the real enemy. How are we not to despair at this moment? How are we to go on? What are we to do? In this moment, I find great comfort in the Jewish concept of tikkun olam. Translated from the Hebrew, this roughly means to repair the world. In the midst of our blindness, our foolishness, our neglect, and our hard-heartedness, we still have a choice. We can, in this darkness, choose to repair this world. We can choose to open hands and hearts instead of clenching fists and wallowing in our imagined grievances despite being one of the most privileged group of people the world has ever seen. We can choose to re-engage the world over the despoiling of the creation of which we are made stewards and not masters. We can choose the bend, to bend the arc of history just ever so slightly in the direction of justice. We can start to undo 400 years of dreadful history and look it in the face. We can ask forgiveness of our neighbors by first taking our boot off their throat. We can try to live more simply that others may simply live. And we can remember that every face we see today, every face belongs to someone beloved of God, whom we are asked to treat as fairly and as lovingly as we would treat ourselves. And we cannot defer this, nor wait, but must start now, in this very minute, as if our lives depended upon it, because they do. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day 
nor the hour. Amen.